This podcast is brought to you by Future Women. Become a member to gain full access to our exclusive content and packed calendar of online events. Every week we bring you amazing guests, expert advice, and you get to ask the questions. You can also upskill with our online learning program to build resilience and better define your personal brand. It's never been more important to connect, learn, and lead. Join the movement today by going to futurewomen.com. There's an option to suit every budget. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for season three of Next Generation Innovators, a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups, from ideation and development to investment and scale. Kelly Hush surprised the industry when she resigned from what some have described as the best job in Australian media, the enviable position as Harper's Bazaar Editor-in-Chief, a role she held for more than six years. Under Kelly's leadership, the magazine went from strength to strength, entering a new era of iconic covers and innovative features. Yeah, there was a lot of noise. I had, a, you know, lots of people saying, listen, the grass isn't greener, you've got the most amazing job in media, you know, just be careful, you know. And I think when I did announce what I was doing, people were shocked. But I, I knew I had more um, and I wanted to do more. Kelly had decided to back herself and went all in to launch her eponymous fashion consulting company and new retail brand, The Way. As creative director, Kelly created the brand before surprising the industry again when she decided to exit the business. Kelly is one of the most influential people in the Australian fashion industry and has valuable advice to share about hard choices and knowing when to take the leap. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet, the ultimate fashion destination where you'll find over 350 designer brands at up to 70% off. The Outnet is the place to go when you're looking to build your wardrobe with designer pieces at exceptional prices. So whether you're dreaming of Zimmerman dresses, a Stella McCartney suit, or coveting everything from Valentino, it's all there. And right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details. Thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. Pleasure. (laughs) Um, So let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in Canberra. Take us back to what you studied at university and um, what you had in mind for yourself while you were studying. I went to the University of Canberra and studied a Bachelor of Arts in Communication, specialising in journalism. So I had very much wanted to be a journalist. Back then, Jan Event was my hero. Um, <laughs> I desperately wanted to, you know, follow a career like hers. I wanted to have a career in television journalism, you know, 60 Minutes. Um, so that was my goal. And during university, I did a lot of work experience and a lot of that was in television at Prime News in Canberra. So I spent, you know, a lot of time on the road getting a, getting a taste for it and, Always knew I wanted to be a journalist back then. It was, yeah, very determined. Mm. And now she's eyebrow goals. So, you know, we all we all um, stand. Oh, yeah. She's everything goals, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Aging gracefully, aging beautifully, so aging with intelligence. Yeah. yeah. What, were your, what was your first uh, magazine position and how do you think that sort of role helped shape your career? 
Yeah, well, I think, well, back to TV journalism, I worked out very quickly. It wasn't right for me. I, I was, you know, I suppose it's a blessing now that I'm in my 40s, but I was looked really young when I was in my 20s and I found it really hard to to go out on news stories when I looked about 16. So and I knew it wasn't for me. And so that's when I moved into print journalism and I moved from Canberra to Sydney um, and I got a job at Practical Parenting, which was my very first media job in in the big smoke. Um, knew nothing about parenting. <laughs> but I think, you know, what you learn in those early days, especially on a subject matter that you don't know anything about it, is you've just got to learn, right? You have to hit the ground running. You have to work out what the content's about, what the demographic's about, who your reader is. And that works across every media brand that you end up working on. So I learned very early on is to, to write to my audience and to learn about dummies and bottles and change tables and, you know, and I got a taste for it then and and loved it. And from there went to bride to be and then it kind of all started happening from there. Was there a position where you felt like, I've made it here? I like, I'm actually, this is exactly where I want to be. Yeah, I got a job at Who Weekly in my in my 20s, which was soon after I'd, you know, moved to Sydney. So it was a big job. Um, back in those days, Who Weekly was an incredible magazine. You know, the journalists that worked on that magazine were some of the best I've ever worked for. It was a, you know, it was an American media model. So I learned how to become a really good journalist. Um, you know, I started out as a reporter, which is basically a fact checker, you know, and the importance of getting a story right. Um, so it was a really good job. It was where I met some brilliant people that have been mentors throughout my life and are, are still friends. And from that, I got a job at InStyle magazine when they launched InStyle. So I was a part of the company and that was my first really big job. I became features director. And that is when I really started, I suppose, networking and establishing my name as a, as a journalist in, in the Australian media. And at one stage, you left magazines and went across to papers, um, to the Sydney Morning Herald. What uh, what was that like for you, working on a paper, and how was it different from working in, in magazines? Mm. To be honest, it was really scary. I think I was very established at that stage in magazines. I went from Harper's Bazaar at the time. I was deputy editor. Um And going into a big pool of, um, again, really bright people who specialised in areas that I had no idea about. So that's business and economics and sport and I'd, you know, been working in fashion. But I was on a steep learning curve and and to be honest, they pulled me aside and, you know, my work wasn't up to scratch. You know, writing a news story is very different to writing a feature article. You know, I was used to writing a 1,200 word piece with myself very much the centre of it and I had to remove myself really work on my inverted pyramid, writing something really succinctly in, in 350 words. And I have to say it actually made me a much better journalist. Um, it was also a time where um, I think I established myself as as a, a strong voice in the Australian fashion industry as well. Um, so I, for me, it was, it was a pivotal point, um, important. And again, I made friendships um, from that time there that have, you know, they're still friends today and still mentors in my career. Can I ask you about that time when the person um, pulled you aside and said, hey, you know, this isn't, you're not performing as well as what we'd like you to. How did you feel and how did you bounce back from that? Because oh, I think, oh, I went to the toilet and cried for yeah. sure. And, I, you know, I called my husband and said, oh, you know, I can't do this. I've made the wrong choice. I've made what the wrong choice. You know, I went from a really beautiful job that I love going into, being, you know, doing it on my head to being told that I wasn't up to scratch. But I think, you know, it says a lot about, I suppose, about your character. I went home, cried all night, came back in and sucked it up and, you know, and began working harder at, at writing 
you know, content that was appropriate for that audience and, and for that publication, which is totally different to a magazine. But it was, yeah, I was really, I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed. And, you know, I probably had tickets on myself and I was brought back down to it very quickly. <laughs> and I guess you would be one of the people who's had to have those conversations as well. So you know that they're not being... Uh, nasty or trying to target you, or maybe sometimes they are, but for the most part, they're just trying to help you do the best job that you can. Is that how you would approach it now or think of it now? Yeah, I would. And I think that's the thing, especially with newspapers, you have to be very independent operators within a big organisation. There is no hand-holding. So they didn't have time to hold my hand and to send my copy back to be rewritten. So I think it was like, okay, you need to either get it, start getting it right or we'll, we'll have to replace you. You know, I was working on features as well. There was nothing wrong with my feature writing. They had no problem with that. It was just the, the upfront news pieces in the newspaper. Mm. So, um, yeah, and it was. And I've had those conversations with people. And when you have a team, you really need someone to be on top of their game because especially in media, you don't have the resources to have two people doing the one job. You've got one person. And if that person can't do it, Mm. then you do have to move them on. Just for the record, if you're listening, people have had to have those conversations with me too. That's why I wanted to check and see that you also ran to the bathroom and cried afterwards. <laughs> I was shattered. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and the beautiful journo that had to tell me, he was he was very gentle. And you mm-hmm. know what? He's brilliant, a brilliant journalist. So I think coming from him, it was like, okay, yeah. if Nick can say that to me, then I can suck it up. <laughs> Absolutely. And so then you decided to head back to magazines and you worked with Grazia and, and Harper's as well, Harper's Bazaar. Yeah, you know, I got the call. It was, you know, poached. Um, I love that word. Um, I love magazines and I didn't think I'd ever be an editor of a magazine. I think you get to that stage in your career where you've been working and they're really coveted jobs. People don't move on from them. So when I did get the call about Grazia, I knew it would change my life. I was a young mum at that stage, but those job opportunities don't come on along that often. And I'd actually declined another big editing job when I knew I was starting my family. Um, so I knew it would be tough, but it was a great opportunity and, again, another massive learning experience for me. Did you always have that as a goal, that you wanted to be the editor-in-chief of, of a big magazine like that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, it's, I love leading teams. I, um, I love creating content. Um, I love creating content for a specific audience. Um, I think there's something amazing about that, of really working out who, who you're talking to. And, you know, it's also about running a business. I learned so much about running a business. And I think that's probably that's what's led me to my, my next steps in my career is is that, you know, you go from just being a journalist and writing words to, to running a team, to running content, from working with advertisers, you know, from running budgets, you know, P&Ls, ensuring you're bringing everything in on budget. You know, I really, really enjoyed that aspect of the business as well. And I was getting a little bit bored just doing the day-to-day journalism, um, and I'll be honest. I, I, I was, I've always been very ambitious, um, and to be an editor was obviously on my, on my checklist. Yeah. It's funny that you talk about being really ambitious because before we turned the mics on, we were just talking about how uh, we're both technically on breaks right now, but you just keep going and going and going. And that's sort of something that you do when you are ambitious, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to turn your brain off. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's actually what my husband says to me all the time. You've got to quieten the brain today. It's got to quieten (laughs) down. But that's that's me. And I think that's what um, drives me, what makes me happy. I love being connected. Um, Mm. I love being 
involved in things and, you know, there's time for breaks. Um, I'm not so great at that either, but, um, but yeah, it's in your DNA. That's what we're saying. It's, mm. you know, you either are or you're not. And unfortunately, fortunately, <laughs> I am one of those people that can't switch off. Now, over your six-year tenure as the editor-in-chief, what are some of the stories and covers and, uh, I guess, moments that you're most proud of at Harper's Bazaar? There are so many things and, you know, I, I get asked this question quite often. I think I'm really proud that I created some really iconic Australian covers with some amazing Australian women. So I did a cover with Kylie and Danny Minogue, which was, you know, it was absolutely beautiful. And then the, cut, the shot that ended up on the cover actually wasn't the shot that I had asked <laughs> to be created for the cover. But when we were going through the shots, it was... It was intimate, it was spontaneous, um, and to be honest, it was one of the most successful covers I had ever done. And my competitor, Vogue, at the time had a massive anniversary and they put, anniversary issue they put out, and then I went bang and put that out and it was much better cover. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we sold out. It's actually really hard to get one of those copies now and I I know um, that Danny and Kylie got that image framed for their parents, so it's in the pool room. Um, So that really proud of. I've done some incredible covers with Elle McPherson, who's now a great friend. And, you know, I've done a couple of covers with Lara Worthington as well and, you know, I know she's controversial, but I did a cover with her when she was at a really big turning point in her life, becoming a mother and, and marrying Sam. And we, we called it Meet Mrs. Worthington. And it, it was, um, again, really successful and beautiful. And we became friends after that. The other things I did at Bazaar, which I love, is um, talking to, to women doing incredible things in different industries other than fashion, you know, and we called it Bazaar at Work and Women of the Year and in celebrating those incredible women and, you know, and I think that's that's what I love is, you know, of course there's the fashion, but I love presenting women from who are successful in different fields other than fashion. That must have been such a big part of the um, time that you were there because I feel like that's when that real shift happened away from, you know, the, the typical model that we would have seen in magazines from cover to cover, from cover to you know, cover to cover, to um, including more normal women and yeah. normal in, you know. Yeah, and I think I think there has definitely been a change. You know, I've been, you know, in, in, in the media when there's been, you know, obviously lots of disruption, but I think we've also gone from, you know, just looking at the superficial to, to we need, women are really, really interested in women's lives who are doing amazing things mm-hmm. and having amazing career and having impact and, I know myself, I love those stories, you know. Whenever I jump on a flight, you know, I'm straight into Qantas magazine, into the CEO pages. I love those stories, you know. I think that's where you actually get these, you know, great nuggets of advice for your own career and and that's what I wanted to do for the reader. I know that they want to shop Chanel and Louis Vuitton but I also know that they want to hear about amazing lives. Yeah, it's about finding that that balance, isn't it? Mm. What was the most fun part about editing a magazine and what was the least? Start with the fun <laughs> I've travelled the globe with Harper's Bazaar. You know, I've been to Cuba for a Chanel show. I've been to Dubai for a Chanel show. I've been to the south of France for a Gucci show. I've been all over the world with fashion and I've met the most incredible people. You know, I'd, you know I've spent time with Karl Lagerfeld. I've, you know, I've interviewed Alessandro Michele from Gucci. I've interviewed Maria Grazia from Christian Dior. I've met celebrities. I've been to the most incredible parties around the world. So... That's the, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. that's the glamorous <laughs> side. The not so glamorous side and the difficult side 
is probably being in an industry that is totally disrupted um, and that you're managing decline. I think everyone that works in the media is is managing decline in some way, unless you're working in new media, obviously, that's a, a, a different area. But it was very challenging to be in print media when everyone was dissing it and saying that it was going to close and it was all over because it wasn't all over. But we then had to go out into the world and say that we've got a strong brand and we're going to continue to publish this magazine because there is an audience out there. And of course, you know, diminishing budgets and still wanting to create something beautiful and incredible and of value to my reader. So it was learning new ways to to do great things, but with no money. Yeah. <laughs> it's the story of our lives in media, <laughs> isn't it? It is. Now, there's this bit of uh, there's a bit of a false idea that fashion is all glamour and it's all frivolous, but in fact, it is. It's really hard work. Did it get to you eventually? Um, I think I made the choice to to get out of media, fashion media, at the right time because it was getting to me. I think I found it very challenging that um, I couldn't grow the business in the way I wanted to, mm. and to execute the things that I wanted to do. So I think before I got totally bitter and twisted, I, I got out at the right time. Um, but it was very challenging. And it's as, yeah, there is that perception. I've sat on a plane with a guy that was giggling basically about my job. And I felt, you know, he was going to be sitting next to me for the next hour. So I told him why and what I did. And, you know, I think he was kind of gobsmacked a little bit. So there is that perception that you, you know, I think, you know, the devil wears Prada, emulates that and ab fab. And, you know, you know, there's, there's a mythology around being a fashion editor and, you know, a little bit of it's true, but most of it's not. Yeah, absolutely. But during this time that you were there, you were also raising two girls, um, how did you manage motherhood and editing the magazine? You know, would have been a lot of hours, a lot of travel, um, but also, you know, wanting to be a great mother and role model for you girls as well. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it was really challenging and there were lots of tears, I'll be honest. There were days where, you know, I'd, you know, I'd call my husband who was amazing. You need you need a good partner when you were doing what I was doing, but I'd call him saying I can't do it anymore. I mm. can't, something's got to give. Um, you know, I'm dropping a child off at childcare that's screaming and clutching to me and then I'm getting into work and it's stressful and then I'm getting to childcare late. You know, I, I've written, finished writing a news story in the car outside of childcare, just basically counting down the minutes so I don't get fined for lading, what, picking her up late but still making, meeting my deadline. I've interviewed well, Kathy Lett on the, on the side of a bathtub. We had a good giggle because I had, you know, I had to get the story done and she could only do a certain time and I had to get my child in the bath. You know, they're just things that you do. And again, I think it's about that ambition and, and the drive. I think it, there were days where I just didn't want to do it anymore, but I, I I really loved my career. And I think when it was really bad, my husband would say, you know, your kids think you are amazing, like, and, and don't forget that, that mm. they will grow up. And seeing what you've done and the sacrifices you've made and, and your ambition and, and the career, and, and don't forget that either. So, you know, and, and I have to say that my daughters are now, you know, 14 and 11, and they are incredible young girls and they're proud of me and I have a great relationship with them. So whereas I thought I was not around enough, I was around enough and, and actually right now at this age is when I need to be around more and it wasn't when they were babies when I had all that kind of separation anxiety and guilt, mother guilt. Um, they need me now. So it's it was probably to do the big career was actually at the right time. You know, I feel like crying hearing you say that because, you know, your girls will grow up thinking it's totally normal 
um, for women to, to work that hard and to, to be that powerful and to, you know, make sacrifices, but also be supportive and loving mothers. And that's a pretty incredible thing. Oh, thank you. And I think that's what's always been important. I, you know, I grew up in a very loving household. So, I, you know, when I am home, you know, I have kids in my bed, kids, cats and husbands in my bed and, <laughs> you know, they help me pack. And, you know, there were times when I'd be in Paris, especially when I did the shows, I was away for almost three weeks, which is a long time. And, you know, towards the end of those trips, they wouldn't FaceTime or Skype with me because seeing me was too hard. Um, oh, so, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it used to be sad because, you know, it would be because they, you know, especially when they're little, they wanted to touch me and they couldn't. So my husband in the end would say it's better if you just call. And then we started doing emails as well when they got old enough that they could write to me. So there are things that you do to get through. Mm. But, you know, coming home and the reunions were always magical, you know. It was, Absolutely. you know, yeah. I particularly like that you said um, that, you know, the time that they were younger, they probably didn't need you as much and so you are able to focus more on your career. And now that you've sort of hustled so hard that you're in a position where you can give them a bit more time, you know, when they're going through the, the worst of the teenage years, you're actually there for them and can give them advice and face-to-face contact. Yeah, and I think I'm around a little bit more now. My eldest daughter especially the other day, she said, you know, talking about just being on holidays, are you staying home today? I was like, I was like yeah, I actually am staying home Is today. Is that all right with yeah. you? <laughs> She's like, aren't you going to work? I said, no, I'm actually staying home today. So, but it is really important to be around now. You know, my, my, you know, they both got phones, so they call me constantly. You know, if I was on the other side of the world, that probably wouldn't be possible because they're just time zones. Um, but it is, it's just me just being a quick drive away or, you know, around the corner or a phone call away. It's really important that I'm here. And sometimes it's minor things that they've forgotten something and I'll race home and get it to them or it's more major things with friendship groups. But just the fact that I'm either home at a reasonable hour or a phone call away is really important. Mm. So you left the role in 2018. What went into making that decision? Probably... Probably in about 2016, I, I knew that um, I knew I didn't want to stay in media anymore. I felt I'd had an incredible career, and when I looked at you know what the next options were to be a publisher or, or something like that, I, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do because I would lose the creativity, which I love so much. Um, so that's when I started exploring other ideas, and you know I'm lucky that I've sat on quite a few not-for-profit boards, so I've met a lot of people in different industries. So I, I spoke to a lot of people. I went to a lot of job interviews. Um, some things I didn't find were right. I got right down to the last, you know, interview, and 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 then at that stage it was like unless the job was 100% right, I wouldn't take it because I still had a really good job that I loved. But I just knew I couldn't do it for the next 10 years, and you know being in my early mid-40s, I, I knew it was the right time to make a career change and to make a move. So that's that's behind the timing. Um, so, yeah, and it probably took two years to, to then work out what I wanted to do, which was launching a retail business. Was it difficult to come to that decision? Because I imagine, you know, there's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of noise. You know what it's like in media, everyone sort of has an opinion or an idea or, you know, there's a lot of gossip as well. Was it difficult to land on your feet and say like, no, this is what I want to do next? Yeah, there was a lot of noise. I had, you know, lots of people saying, listen, the grass isn't greener, you've got the most amazing job in media, you know, just be careful, you know. And I think when I did announce what I was doing, people were shocked. Um, so there was, and I, and I think I knew that that would happen, um, but you've got to just be thick skinned. Um, you know, I, I think you, again, with ambition and being single minded and backing yourself comes with that. I could have stayed in that job, 
You know, I could have just continued to travel the world and go to the shows and put out a magazine and continue to grow social media. But I, I knew I had more um, and I wanted to do more. So how did you come to launch The Way? Um, I met my business partner I've known in the fashion industry for quite some time, so we've always been mates. Um, and so when it was probably about 2016, actually, I said to him I was looking at doing something new and he said, well, we should talk. And we kept talking over those years and we talked about gaps in the Australian retail market. Um, he's a retailer. And that's when we came up with The Way, um, a you know fast fashion, trend-driven accessories brand. And it took... A, it took or two years to, to get it up off the ground. And and I must admit, during that time, I was looking at other opportunities as well because, you know, launching a retail brand takes a lot of money. It's high risk. So there was a chance that it wouldn't happen. But, but it did happen and, and I resigned, you know, a couple of months before we, we started, you know, 100% into that business. How did you... Um uh, so you you identified the gap in the market, market, which is how you came up with the idea. But was it what you had imagined by the time it rolled around to launch? Um, I think it was almost there. I think it changed a lot over over the 12 months I was there. And I think that is impacted by quite a few things. It's a financial impact. Um, so I think the, the brand vision that I had probably when I left Bazaar had changed quite a bit by the time the business launched. And, and that actually created conflict. So, um, but, you know, it, it launched and it's launched successfully and, and I was around for that. Um, but I think in the, at the end of the day, I... Um, Culture and integrity and, and brand vision is all very important to me. Um, it's what I've built my career on. So I think when, when it changed quite a lot, I, I knew it probably wasn't something for me to, to, to keep doing. How did you go about finding a backer? And I do want to get more into the, um, the you know, your exit, um, but I just want to go through the initial stages first because I think that so much of sort of the setup is... Um, is important to, to why you eventually wanted to, to get out as well. So when when you were in those initial stages and you're talking about um, what the idea is and leaving Harper's and, and all of that stuff, how did you go about finding someone to back you in? Um, well, my business partner, my very first business partner was the major backer, but obviously we needed other financing as well because it's quite an expensive exercise to launch a retail business. So there was a lot of meetings, um, a lot of work on the business plan and the financial plan. And, and that is one thing I would say that, which I really love that I've, I've learned quite thoroughly is that business plan has to be watertight because if you're going out and asking people to have faith in you and to invest in your business, you need to present them a really thorough business plan and, and brand vision. So that's what we did. You know, it, I spent a lot of time meeting with um, investors, with people that have invested in retail businesses. I also um, took annual leave and went up to China a couple of times to meet with suppliers up there and, and producers and, and designers up in, in Hong Kong and, and, and mainland China. So you're kind of doing a lot of moonlighting, um, doing two jobs. But to, to get financial investment, you have to have a really tight business plan and to be able to show people how you're going to grow this business um, from, from the get-go for the next five, five years. And, and we did a lot of work on that. And so was developing business plan something that you learned um, throughout your magazine career or did you have to um, call in help to figure out how to do that? My business really plan was very good at that. You know, he's launched yeah. quite a few retail plan, uh, retail businesses and I think that's when you do go into a business. Or sometimes you, that's how you balance. So, you know, if I look at my my great mates, um, Sarah Jane and, and Heidi Milliton from Sass and Bide, they had complementary skills. You know, Sarah Jane, great with numbers, Heidi, great with design. So I think you do need that 
if you're just great with design. And I know that from lots of amazing <laughs> Australian fashion designers, they don't know how to run a business. So you do need both. Mm. But I learned a lot from that, um, you know, and I'll be honest, and I say this all the time, I had never used Excel until 2018. Yeah. I'd, you know, I had business managers that did my budgets for me. They presented me all the documents. I could read a P&L but I didn't have to put it together. So I think that was probably one of my steepest learning curves was opening this spreadsheet and having no, no idea how to, how to operate. <laughs> right. That's what It's quite embarrassing. No, what do you that, do? And, it, it's, it's, totally and it's, not a, it's not like it's got nothing to do with anything you've ever done before. It's like, what do you mean control shift? That doesn't work. Um, so that if anything, if I could rewind, I would have gone and done a kind of a business course <laughs> to learn just those basics. Um, but yeah, a lot of work had to go into that. You know, I, I'm great at putting the brand document together and the brand vision and the words and the pictures and the imagery. I can mm. do that without, you know, I, I love doing that. That's in my, you know, that's what I do. But that that crunching numbers and I'm talking 30 pages of numbers is not my area of expertise. And you really need to have someone working with you, whether you're employing them to do it or it's your, you know, business partner that, that have a skill set in that. That really knows their that shit knows when it their comes Excel to Excel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, the launch, is there anything that you would do differently sort of leading up to the launch, knowing what you know now? Um, it's always hard to launch things, and you know, you know, in hindsight, um, I may, I, I think we should have invested more money in the launch. I think we should have done it bigger. Um, I think we tried to cut too many corners, and I think that limited to when we could do it and where we could do it. Um, I think too, we we launched the website. We were launching the website, so there's a few going things going on. But I think the one big thing I would have done is invested more money in, into it, um, you know, and, you know, and because I did everything, to be honest. So I, I did all the event planning. I, I did the media wall. I did everything. So, you know, I had support from the team to pack goodie bags and things like that. But essentially, I was managing the guest list, managing the media, managing the social media, managing the food, managing the flowers. Oh so my gosh, it's like a wedding. I know, and doing it all by yourself, plus still trying to run a business. And, and I think that's what I would have done. I invested much more money and, and got probably more people with areas of expertise on board. When you are building something like that, do you do a lot of audience profiling to understand precisely who you're uh, marketing to? And if so, how do you go about doing that? Um, I think for me, it was more knowing the industry quite well and mm -hmm. knowing that market. And I'll be really honest, we didn't, we didn't go to a research company and, you know, find out, you know, I think you, you spend a lot of time walking around shopping malls and, and walking into the stores of your competitors and, and looking at who the consumer is. Um, I think you really do have to know who that core customer is. I think quite often businesses make a mistake where they say, oh, we're just for every woman. <laughs> and you can't because the campaign imagery, the language that you use has to be targeted at, mm. at a certain customer. So, you know, we were, we were looking at that, that 18 to 30-year-old girl um, from the start, and then it, the demographic kind of got a bit wider. And I think that's when we lost our way a little bit. I think you've got to really nail who that customer is and stick to it. Mm. And then hopefully you'll get demographics around that core customer that come to you as well. So those first few months, were you, do you just obsessively watch orders? Are you, are you refreshing to see how things are going? How do you temper your own expectations and, and manage that? Um, 
You know, we we were pretty well stocked and ready to go. I think it I think it's always interesting to see what sells and mm. and the uptake. And you know, also for me, it was really interesting working with um, social media influencers that I'd known for a long time, but really not knowing how, what their impact is. And I found that fascinating, you know. What sort of impact do they have? Um, I mean, someone like Paula Joy, who's been a great friend of mine for years and, you know, a, a colleague and, you know, I'd, I'd always admired her. And again, she had a career change. She has great uptake, you know. You know, she posts something and it sells. You know, I think she posted a bag of ours and we sold 30 bags. It's, you know, it's that kind of, which is really fascinating, right? That's amazing because yeah. then you could have someone on the other hand. I've heard stories about um, brands sending out freebies to someone who's got a huge following and then they post it and they don't sell any. Yeah, and that's we had that too, but I won't name names because they're friends yeah. of mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to. We don't want to defame. No, anyone. I don't. I don't. You know, and that, and that one, and I found that really interesting. You know, and and I, again, that's about audience, right? Mm. So, you know, the audience that Paula Joy is talking to was our audience, and then the other audiences actually weren't our girls. So, you know, you learn quite quickly. Yeah, know who you're talking to. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, take me up to present day then. Where is it at now? Um, well, I've left, left for the way and, mm. um, you know, and, and to be honest, the brand is out there. It's, you know, there's retail stores um, opening, you know, it's looking great. So I'm very proud of that. You know, it was a baby that I had and, you know, and I'm very proud of the team that's still there, that it's up and running and, and expanding as planned. Um, but for me now, I... Um, I'm actually consulting with a, a couple of brands. I'm doing a lot of work with Colours and Patty at the moment, who is incredible. She's been a friend of mine um, for 20 years and, you know, obviously a fashion icon and, and she's about to hit 55 years. So I'm working with her on, wow. on that anniversary and, and the brand vision going forward. Um, and, and then I'll, I'll start working with some other people in the new year. But I think, I think at the moment it's about kind of taking stock and, and again, working out what... Um, what I'm going to do next. And mm. I'm excited about that. I think at first it was a bit frightening because I really did think I'd be at the way for the next five to 10 years. Um, so I've had to recalibrate and and step back and think, okay, that's, that's not where I'm going. Um, that was an amazing experience. And I have to say it was, you know, I launched a ba- brand in and a business in 12 months time. So, you know, I, I've talked years ago about doing an MBA and it's just like, I feel like I've done the MBA. <laughs> um, <laughs> that so, 12 months was your yeah, MBA. It was, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> and so I think, and there was no exam at the end. Um, but I think that that was invaluable, that learning curve. So I'll use some of that to, to do the next thing. But, you know, I'm talking to lots of people. I think um, the one thing I have learned is um, I have an incredible network. Um, and and I have to say that's something I've invested a lot of time with, um, time in over the years. And um, they've been incredible, the support I've had. And, um, you, know, I, I, you know, and I'm really proud of that as well, that I've got amazing men and women around me. Is it hard to talk about leaving something like that because you had so much faith in it and then, you know, now you're saying, actually, no, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to go and do something else? Yeah, it was hard. Um, Again, you know, I'll be honest, there were a lot of tears. It was, you know, I think when you've invested your heart and soul in it and you could see in your mind where you thought it was going so and that you won't be a part of that. So it was tough and but again, I had to pick myself up and dust myself off and... um, you know, and, and, you know, and that's a part, you know, I think, you know, a part of being ambitious and part of being an entrepreneur and, and that's what I have learned is that, you know, failure isn't such a bad thing. I think you learn a lot from it. I've learned a lot about myself um, and that's that I'm pretty resilient. Um, so I think that was great for me to learn as well. But it's not to say that I haven't had dark days, but um, I'm excited about the future. You know, I'm now having conversations with um, incredible brands and businesses that um, excites me. 
Yeah. So those days when you're thinking about, um, you know, I don't know if I'm making the right decision here, I need to get out of this thing that I'm creating, but I don't know. How do you, I guess what I'm trying to tease out is how do you know when to sort of pull the trigger to say, yeah, I'm leaving this big job or I'm leaving this thing that I've created? Because I think a lot of people listening would be, um, you know, on the cusp of making a big decision or, you know, they're listening to this because they um, they want to change something about their life. And you've done that a yeah. couple of times. Yeah. I think you need to wake up in the morning and really want to do what you're doing. And I think there have been times in my career and then recently where I've really struggled to go into work and I, there's been a bit of a cloud and I, I, you know, and it wasn't a snap decision. I, I sought a lot of advice and, and spoke to a lot of people that I trust um, about the decision-making process. And I think I took all of the advice on board and I didn't make a snap rash decision, but I think it, it became very obvious that it wasn't going to work long-term um, and I had to make that decision and it wasn't easy. But again, I think you have to go by your gut in the end. And, you know, a lot of people stay in careers for a long time and they are really unhappy. And I think it affects all aspects of your life then. And for me, the preservation of my family life and my happiness and future career was probably in the end more important than trying to stick with someone, something um, that in the end may not have been good for any of that. Mm. And the integrity of, of your personal brand as well. Yeah. And that's really important. I've, you know, I've been working for you know, over 20 years now and my personal brand has been what's got what's got me my next job. So, and, and you know, as again, I've got a great network and and I really did need to protect my my integrity and, and, and my brand DNA because it's, I own that. Um, and, you know, and I, I did lend my brand to, to, to launching the way and, and, you know, and so for me, it was important that I, it remained intact. Now, are you already thinking of what your next big thing is? Because you mentioned you're consulting on a couple of things. If we uh, assume that the evidence suggests that most successful entrepreneurs have have one story which doesn't go entirely to plan. So do you think that, you know, sort of that's just part of your narrative and your thing, you know, your next big thing is totally coming? I hope so. <laughs> Someone said to me the other day, listen, you're going to have the best TED Talk in about five years' time. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I hope I do. Um, yeah, you know, it's a little speed hump. You know, but again, and, you know, I'm going to be Pollyanna today because today's a good day and the sun's out and Sydney's looking amazing. But, I, you know, I have to take away 12 months of an absolute steep learning curve and a steep, well, I've just learned so much. Um, steep learning curve is probably a part of it, but I've learned so much. And, and that's why I think the next thing, I'll be better at making choices about what I do next and better about the people I work with. And, you know, I, I think digital really interests me. You know, there's some great opportunities out there to get involved in some really exciting digital businesses. But at the moment, I'm really enjoying working with some great brands as well. Mm. So well, you, you must have a lot of good advice. I'm feeling it. So let's have it. What are your top three tips for anyone who's thinking about launching a business? One, you can't fear failure. You know, you can't because I think you know, well, I don't even know what the stat is now. I think it might be even nine out of 10 businesses fail, you know. So you can't be afraid of failure because as soon as you are, it's, you know, you're going to be a nervous wreck the entire time. I think learn as much as you can because it's invaluable for the next business. And I also, I used to say this a lot to young journalists as well, is that 
you know, a bad job is still a good job because you learn a lot from it, right? You know, you can't look back on any job and think, oh God, I shouldn't have done that because actually you walked away from that job learning things, you know, it may be about what, what kind of journalist you are or, you know, like I did, you know, or that I had, you know, kind of a bit of a gaping hole in, in my skill set. So I think, you know, that that's important to learn as much as you can and never stop networking. I'm really, really proud that I kept networking <clears throat> through my entire career. And I, I started when I was at InStyle and we launched, were launching this new magazine and I got out and I met the entire industry. I did lunch with all the agents, all the music companies, all the film companies, you know, all the acting agents. And that network was so important. And then when I got to the Herald, I hit the ground and I met everyone in the fashion industry. And, you know, as editor of Bazaar, I'd met more people. And in this new job, I've met more people. So just never stop networking. Don't think that you've got there and you don't need to meet people anymore because you do, because you don't know what that will lead to. Absolutely. That is very good advice. I'm writing that down right now because I feel like there are very good tips for everyone, not just someone launching a business. Now, finally, who do you most admire of all of the women you've met and who you've supported and and vice versa? I've got a, a long list. Helen McKay, you know, founder of Future Women. She's a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, has been a great supporter of mine. She's always been on the phone when I haven't been having a great time. Julie Bishop is a woman I've met several times. And again, when she heard about me leaving the way, she was straight on the phone, catching up for a coffee. You know, that's that's a great mentor and a friendship as well. Edwina McCann, who's been my arch rival, but she's also been one of my biggest supporters. And I think when I left Bazaar, one of the things that we said to each other is like, now we can go back to just being friends, which has been incredible. And again, she's on the phone to me all the time and, and vice versa when she's just had a 60th anniversary and I'm on the phone supporting her and can't believe she's still standing, but um, amazing. And Carla Zampatti, incredible Australian businesswoman, you know, who's an independent businesswoman who has shown that you can do it on your own. You know, you don't need, you don't need a husband, you don't need a business partner, you just need drive and intelligence and passion. She's incredible. And Joe Horgan, you know, founder of Mecca. Again, Jo is incredible. Like she has created a brand which is not only one of the most successful retail brands in Australia, it's got the world watching, you know, how she did it and she just kept going. You know, she saw competitors coming into the country like Sephora, you know, owned by a really big international company and she took them on and she didn't just take them on, she's just killed it. and Smashing them. She's smashing them and you know what, she's an incredible, again, been on the phone to me, messages, support. And, you know, and that's what, again, it's back to that network. And I'm so incredibly lucky that I have these amazing, successful women who have also had speed humps and curves and downhill rides and crashes <laughs> in their career. And so they've got great, great advice. Well, I cannot wait to see what is next for you. I have no doubt that it's going to be something incredible. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week. That was the inspiring and legendary Kelly Hush. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with some friends and tell us what you think in the comments. Have a good week. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet. The Outnet is where you'll find designer pieces for up to 70% off. Build your wardrobe with staples from Gunny and Sandro, as well as statement pieces from Diane von Furstenberg and Valentino. Right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details.